There's nothing quite like the sound of a newsroom on election night. Now she's up nine points. Was that what we had? I think she's been nine. Yeah, we had her at nine. Yeah. Well, the Republican primary is working. It's normal. Where's all these Trump people? When voting centers closed Tuesday night, the work for the Arizona Republic's journalists really began. Reporters crisscrossed candidate events, shared campaign scuttlebutt, and everyone looked for updates as they rolled in. Hey, here's something in case people are interested in this, right? Oh, you mean you think people needed more direction on what that meant? I think that it was disingenuous misleading. without, I mean, it's, it's somewhat misleading. Uh, because, because The votes are still being counted, but we have an early look at how Arizona's 2022 primary races are heading. Maybe the most important thing to know is it looks pretty good so far for former President Donald Trump, whose preferred candidates were holding leads in most races across the state. That ranges from the governor's race, where Carrie Lake leads Karen Taylor Robeson for the GOP nomination, to the U.S. Senate race, where Blake Masters led his four rivals. And in the state Senate, House Speaker Rusty Bowers, who famously rejected Trump's requests to help sidestep voters in the 2020 election, is losing to Trump-endorsed David Farnsworth in this year's election. Welcome to The Gaggle, a politics podcast by the Arizona Republic and azcentral.com. I'm your host, Ron Hansen. I cover national politics here at The Republic. This week, while we won't have all the results yet, we'll give you a sense of how the races looked late Tuesday, and you'll hear a bit of what it sounded like in our newsroom as it all unfolded. First, I'm joined by state politics reporter Stacy Barchinger. Frequent listeners of the show know she's been closely following the governor's race for some time now. Probably the contest with the most eyes on it today has been between Republican candidates Carrie Lake and Karen Taylor Robeson. Stacy, welcome back to the gaggle. Hey, good morning, almost. It's almost <laughs> midnight. It is late. <laughs> Let's start with the really big picture on the primaries. It looks like Republican voters have largely reaffirmed their loyalty to Trump, but there's a big asterisk right now with that governor's race as well. Any thoughts on what to make of the mix of results that we've seen so far on the Republican side? I think it's pretty head-scratching. You have Carrie Lake, who was probably most closely tied to Donald Trump, um, at least in the mind of voters that I talked to, who is the one who in her race has not seemingly sailed to victory, at least what we know right now. I'm sure we'll talk some more about this. I think it has to do with her opponent in the primary race and how much, frankly, money she was willing to spend. One person who might be feeling especially good right now, all things considered, would have to be Governor Doug Ducey, who put his political reputation on the line, it seems, along with Vice President Mike Pence, in backing Karen Taylor Robeson. We obviously don't know the final results yet, but it does appear that with the other candidates in that race picking up the votes they did, there's been a pretty serious pushback against the Kerry Lake inevitability anyway. Yeah, certainly. And I think you had these uh, political power players getting involved late in the race. And this race is very, very close, right? We've seen it narrows somewhat as more and more ballots have been counted. Um, but I certainly think that the endorsements that Karen Taylor Robeson got later in this race helped narrow the gap. 
Okay, so let's shift to the main event of the night more directly, the gubernatorial race, especially on the Republican side. Give us a sense of who is leading as we record. So as of right now, um, Karen Taylor Robeson is leading. I think it's important to note that we've seen her lead narrow as we've gotten more and more results. I think from what I am hearing from the campaigns, there is a question about where the votes that are remaining to be counted, where they land. Um, You know, Carrie Lake has been for months casting doubt on the legitimacy of early voting. And so when she came out tonight to address her supporters, she said she thinks all of the ballots yet to be counted are going to go for her. Certainly not all of them will, but it's reasonable to think many of them will, um, which would help her narrow the gap if it's going to carry her over to what Karen Taylor Robeson has managed to tally. um, We will see. As we look at these results so far, we are seeing that there are still votes to be counted in Maricopa County and Pima County, but these two candidates really kind of were focused on another part of the state in the final days, weren't they? Yeah, certainly. So both um, Karen Taylor Robeson and Carrie Lake are longtime Phoenix residents. Um, Obviously, Carrie is very well known because of her presence on Fox 10 here. Um, But I think it's noteworthy that in recent weeks, and especially over this last weekend leading up to the primary, they were uh, largely outside of the state's population centers. They were out in rural areas campaigning, trying to stack up those last and final votes that could get them over the finish line. And what we see is just a very tight race. So we've heard from both women Tuesday night. What were they saying? Yeah, so about um, a little bit after 10 o'clock, both of them came out at their respective parties to address their supporters who were kind of waiting with anticipation to see what the results would say. And at their very basic level, the message from both candidates was, hang on, we're not going to know tonight. But the tone, I think, and some of the subtext was vastly different. Karen Taylor Robeson came out and told people to, you know, stay calm, trust in the system. The 15 county recorders have a lot of work left to do. They need to do it slow and measured so that they can get it right. Keep the faith and keep us in your prayers because at the end of the day, we're going to win this thing. Carrie Lake came out and at one point asked, What the hell is going on in Pinal County where they ran out of ballots? Um, You know, I wanted to come out here tonight. I wanted to say, wow, we already have the final results, but we know how our election systems work and they don't work well. And that's one of the reasons... She said some things that when I was listening seemed very much like language we've heard from former President Donald Trump about, look at our crowd sizes. We've turned out all of these people. Um... Certainly both candidates, you know, declared that they think they're going to win this when all of the ballots are in. Especially in the last couple of weeks, we've been hearing more from Carrie Lake casting doubt on the reliability of this election cycle. You know, at one point she suggested she might not concede the race like President Trump never did. More recently, just about a week ago, we heard her explicitly say she thinks there's stealing going on and she has refused multiple times to provide any evidence of 
what that stealing is. Should note, county recorders have you know rejected most of the claims of fraud that we've heard so far. So there has been some evidence so far that she is laying the groundwork um, for what could become a refusal to accept whatever the outcome is of this race. And I think you heard tones of that in her speech to supporters tonight. After the governor's primary, Arizona's U.S. Senate primary for Republicans has garnered lots of interest. This was the race I watched the closest. So far, at least, it's gone as many expected it would by the end. Blake Masters, the protege of billionaire Peter Thiel, and the man Trump endorsed in the race, has a narrow but persistent lead in that race. Jim Lehman, the founder of Arizona's DEPCOM Power, was in second. Arizona Attorney General Mark Burnovich was a distant third, followed by Michael Mick McGuire, the retired adjutant general of the Arizona National Guard, and Arizona Corporation Commissioner Justin Olson. Okay, now let's shift to another statewide race of special note, the race in both parties for Secretary of State. This is the office that will oversee the state's elections for the next four years, and voting has been a contentious issue ever since Trump narrowly lost Arizona in 2020. So joining us to make sense of how that race is unfolding is Mary Jo Pitzel, who's been covering it for a while now. Mary Jo, let's start with the Republicans. What's happening there? In the early returns, Mark Fincham has jumped out to a pretty substantial lead. He's in a four-person field, so he's polling about 35% of the vote as it has come in so far. That's enough to win, you know, when you've got four people in the race. On election night, he was leading his closest opponent by 10 points. What is remarkable about Fincham's candidacy? Fincham has the endorsement of former President Donald Trump, and he earned that by being a steadfast proponent of the Stop the Steal movement. As probably many listeners know, he was at the Capitol on January 6th. You know, he was pretty close to the Capitol steps. He is calling for all kinds of pretty radical changes to our election system. And that, coupled with the Trump endorsement, um, has really given him a leg up in the Republican primary race. Fincham's received a lot of attention nationally for his background. What is that all about? I think primarily um, his more recent background as somebody who's an election denier, who does not accept the results of the 2020 race, who most recently has said that if he sees any impropriety in his own race, you know, he will challenge it right away. So that goes a lot to his more recent appeal to people. You know, he's been a lawmaker, reelected four times to the state legislature, um, has worked in real estate. He's sort of bounced around to a lot of different kinds of lines of work. You know, he came to Arizona after being a um, paramedic and a firefighter in Kalamazoo, Michigan, and uh, has sort of touted his law enforcement background. But basically, you know, he has been an Oath Keeper, member of the Oath Keeper since you know, before he entered the legislature, he was sympathetic to the Bundy Ranch efforts in Nevada as, as well as in Oregon. And there's always been this current of discontent and distrust of the government. 
Okay, let's move to the Democratic race between State Representative Reginald Bolding and former Maricopa County recorder Adrian Fontes. Tell us about that race. This one is uh, closer. Uh, as we are recording this on election night, Fontes has, uh, has a lead. Um, no one has declared victory. Uh, in fact, Bolding has said the race is too close to call. We need to hang back and wait for every vote to be counted. And there are many more votes to be counted. The dynamic in that race, uh, I think, perhaps changed in the last month. Um, they really had been pretty copacetic, and they do agree on most of the major issues. But things divided in terms of some of their personal uh, failings. Um, we did some reporting that showed that Bolding had ties to his own nonprofits in a way that was is not acceptable under campaign finance laws. It gets into the whole dark money, which is money that comes from donors who are not identified. There is an active complaint before the state attorney general, as well as with um, the IRS and the Federal Elections Commission on that, uh, that probably had something to do with you know, with how he is faring right now. Fontes, we learned in the closing weeks of the campaign, had a surprise, surprise, uh, an unpaid property tax bill in southern Arizona. He said he never knew about it, never got a notice, and frankly, that was confirmed by county officials. Uh, I had confirmed that before I confronted Fontes about it. It sounds bad. It was 10 years of an overdue tax, and it came up to $3,700. So not a not a big sum of money. He promptly paid that off. Let's look ahead to November. If both parties nominate the men currently leading in these races, what kind of race might we hear about for the next few months? Oh, I think it would be a rock'em sock'em kind of contest. I mean, Fontes throughout the campaign has just been itching. You can just feel it. He's been itching to go after Fincham. And Fincham has... Uh, not shied away from raising all kinds of suspicions about Fontes. Keep in mind, Fontes is the guy as Maricopa County recorder who ran the 2020 election, which has been deemed a very fine election. It's been done well. It, it survived all these audits, even the state Senate's own ballot review. And Fincham's the guy who's been out there, you know, taking credit for the audit even happening and continuing to say that the results of the 2020 election, especially in Maricopa County, where Joe Biden won, you know, are fake. So it will be a classic, you know, matchup between two people from absolutely opposite points of view. Producer Amanda Liberto here. We're just taking a short break to let you know about our free mobile app. Stay up to date on politics, breaking news, and other stories affecting Arizona by downloading the AZ Central app. Available in your App Store and Google Play. Now let's shift to Congress, where Arizona is using a new set of political boundaries this year. There are several primaries to discuss, and here to help us with those in making her first appearance on The Gaggle is reporter Tara Kavaler. Tara, welcome to the show. Let's first start in the Valley with the Republican primary involving incumbent Representative David Schweikert against businessmen Elijah Norton and Josh Barnett. Schweikert won the Trump endorsement in this race, 
Who's ahead and, and what do we need to know about this? Well, first, thank you so much for having me. For those who don't know, the 1st Congressional District covers Scottsdale, Paradise Valley, Cave Creek, and Fountain Hills. Schweikert has a sizable lead over first-time candidate, businessman Elijah Norton. While that's not completely a surprise, some analysts thought it would be closer. So what kind of campaign was this between these guys? I saw some ugly ads uh, in this thing going back and forth. Help us understand what this was all about. So this was a really dirty campaign. Basically, both sides allege corruption. Um, so Schweikert has been fined a total of $175,000 by both the House Ethics Committee and the FEC. Um, he has 11 ethics violations. And Norton was the creator of this company called CarGuard. And um, it has been accused of not living up to its business end of their agreement for car warranties, although CarGuard rejects those allegations. They've had a number of lawsuits alleging the exploitation of poor people and older people, um, and the company has settled all of them. There was another man in this race. That's Josh Barnett. Mm -hmm. uh, he seemed to be doing relatively well with voters, and it looked like overall there were more votes against David Schweikert, the incumbent, than what we were seeing uh, for someone who's been in Congress for a while now. Yeah, I think that there's a lot of a lot of people are unhappy in the Republican Party over his ethics violations. Let's shift to another race now. In northeastern Arizona, we've seen a showdown for Republicans between former Navy SEAL and Trump-endorsed businessman Eli Crane, the first black Republican in the state legislature, Walt Blackman, and several others. Who's winning in that race? This race has been a surprise, I think, for as well amongst some analysts um, who were predicting the race to be a lot closer, if not Blackman winning overall. So Eli Crane received the Trump endorsement very, very late, but Walt Blackman, who himself is a black man, has name recognition in the district. He's well-loved by a lot of his constituents, and he sort of ticked all the boxes that one would expect for a Republican primary candidate for Crane to be winning by a sizable lead is, is surprising. As a note, the winner in that primary will face incumbent Democratic Representative Tom O'Halloran in a district that now leans to Republicans. If there's a surprise in the congressional primaries, it could be Kelly Cooper leading Tanya Wheelis in a Republican primary in the Southeast Valley. That race isn't over, but it looks like Cooper is consistently led. What should people know about these two candidates? Cooper has run on an America First platform although he's a recent addition to the Republican Party. Pundits were expecting Wheelis to win because she has had the better ground game. She's done the most voter outreach. She's been the most visible candidate. This is for Wheelis. She's the former deputy chief of staff. For Martha McSally, she was the former president of the Arizona Banking Association. And Kelly Cooper is a He's a newcomer. He's a businessman, former Marine, entrepreneur. He's led the race in fundraising. So he's had that advantage. But most people, most of the analysts or all the analysts I spoke have spoken with expected Wheelis to win. Okay, let's go over one more district. Democratic Representative Ann Kirkpatrick is retiring at the end of this Congress 
and there's a battle in both parties for her open Tucson area seat. Most of the attention has been on the Democratic primary. Former state Senator Kirsten Engel has defeated State Representative Daniel Hernandez. Tell us about that race. So this race was surprising only because there was very little to no polling. So most people I spoke with thought that the race was a dead heat as early as this afternoon. Engel definitely had more of the party establishment than Hernandez, but both had very had very similar positions on the issues. This was more of a personality primary, I would say, than one on the issues. The Republicans have a crowded field, but businessman Juan Siscomani and former GOP nominee Brandon Martin have stood out in that race. What's happening there? Uh, Siscomani has declared victory. That's not a surprise for me personally. Um, he was leading in a lot of polls that I had seen. So it looks like we have an Engel versus Siscomani race. Any thoughts on what that might mean at first blush? According to the IRC, which is the Independent Redistricting Commission, there is a 2.36 voter spread, which essentially means that it's a very, very competitive district. And however, 538, which is a polling and analysis website, has the district leaning Republican by plus seven, meaning that the district as a whole um, votes Republican 7% more than the country as a whole. And so Engel is going to have a tough race. Two years ago, Arizona State House Speaker Rusty Bowers was not necessarily a nationally known name, but after he refused to take part in the 2021 review of Maricopa County ballots like the state Senate, Bowers has been in the spotlight and on the hot seat with Trump. He's running against David Farnsworth for a seat in the state Senate, with Trump backing Farnsworth. Here to talk with us about the legislative race is reporter Ray Stern. Ray, welcome back. Thank you. So who is winning in this race and what should we make of it? Well, um, this race is one of the bellwether races um, in which the more Trump-affiliated candidates are winning. And this is one that everyone was looking at um, because of Rusty Bowers' nationwide presence when he testified before the House Select Committee on the January 6th riot. And so what has happened here is that the Trump-endorsed candidate, David Farnsworth, is really solidly winning against Bowers. It certainly shows that in that district, anyway, in East Mesa, the softer approach by uh, by a Republican like Rusty Bowers, who has supported uh, anti-discrimination rights for the LGBT community and um, uh, has been certainly, you know, a, a vanguard against the uh, attempt to overturn the election by Trump and his team. Um, the other side painted him as a rhino and as someone that, that couldn't be trusted and was just, just uh, uh, not being Republican enough. Of course, he was censured by the Republican Party as well. So I guess this tells us that it really is a Republican in a Trump year, at least in Arizona. So this is a race that has been heavily affected by the 2020 election and Donald Trump's feelings about what Rusty Bowers didn't do for him. Uh, what else has really kind of helped shape the way that people view these candidates? There's a religious aspect to it as well. Um, and David Farnsworth adds that into his his rhetoric, and it seems to be something that, that uh, the voters like. 
Um, what he told me during an interview is that one of the biggest pieces of evidence that he has uh, that there was fraud in the election is his gut feeling that the devil was deeply and personally involved in the election and that this election in 2020 and, in his opinion, the problems that happened with it are all part of a grand plan of perhaps the apocalypse or, or something like that, that that is all coming together, in his opinion, that has roots uh, in the Book of Mormon and the Bible. And to be clear, Rusty Bowers is also a Mormon, but evidently didn't share his, his gut the same feelings. Right. They have a lot in common. Um, they both are devout Mormons. Um, uh, one also interesting aspect of this is that um, while the church didn't get directly involved with the race, there were some church members that put together a uh, independent expenditure fund that benefited uh, Rusty, but didn't work in the end. Okay, so let's shift to another contest that has uh, garnered national attention. That is a state Senate race between Republicans Kelly Townsend and Wendy Rogers. Rogers is really sort of a star among the far right, and Townsend has been a prominent conservative in the legislature for years. So who's winning that race, and and what should we make of it? This was such an interesting race because both of these women um, have been just— just very vocally adamant that that some major problems happened in 2020. They are both election conspiracy believers. Uh, Wendy Rogers, though, takes it even further and has done really well on the national plane. She's a social media expert with her nephew, Spence Rogers, who controls a lot of it in Florida. She's paid him a lot to do that. Um, And they've attracted a lot of out-of-state interest, which has helped Wendy raise uh, just over $3 million for this race, which is just an absolutely enormous amount for a legislative race. It's 10 times more than than what you normally see. Kelly Townsend, um, while she has similar views, basically launched into an attack where she was attacking Wendy for some of the more offensive tweets that that she's put out and and social media things. Wendy uh, does uh, give support to people like Nick Fuentes, who's a Holocaust denier, possible anti-Semitist. And and so while Kelly has attacked him for that, um, she ended up losing the Trump, or uh, attacked Wendy for that. She ended up losing the Trump endorsement, which caused her to leave her uh, congressional race and run against Wendy. And, And yeah, that's just not working out. This has always been sort of a strange race and an odd fit for Kelly Townsend to be running against Wendy Rogers. Uh, Talk about the shape of this district. Where do these women live and and how far does this district reach? That's such an interesting point about all of this. This is one of the weirdest districts in the new redistricting plan that was drawn up at the end of last year. Um, This district reaches from Flagstaff uh, to Apache Junction uh, and goes through Globe and Payson as well. So it's really a far-flung district. And despite the fact that it encompasses so much area, both the uh, competitors in this race, Kelly and and Wendy, apparently moved to uh, to make sure that they're in this district. Well, actually, Wendy didn't move, but the, uh, the the redistricting lines somehow moved to make sure that they were including her home. The district commissioners say that that was a coincidence. And then Kelly, who also used to live in Mesa, now lives in Apache Junction, which happens to be in, in the district that she wanted to run in. That is it for today, Gaggle listeners. Keep an eye on this feed in your favorite podcast app, and we'll be back later this week with hopefully more definitive results and a better idea on who you can expect on the November ballot. 
Thank you to all my Republic colleagues who joined me today. You can find all their work by following them on Twitter and, of course, by subscribing to azcentral.com. And don't forget to rate and review our show and share it with a friend. If you want to reach out to me on Twitter, I'm at Ronald J. Hansen. That's H-A-N-S-E-N. Today's episode was edited and produced by Amanda Liberto under very difficult time pressure. You can follow her at Amanda Luberto. That's L-U-B-E-R-T-O. Has this year's primaries left you with questions about Arizona's political landscape? Contact us at thegaggle at arizonarepublic.com. That's one word, all spelled out. Or leave us a message at 602-444-0804. Thanks for listening to The Gaggle a podcast from the Arizona Republic and azcentral.com. We'll see you next week.